All right, Zig coming in on the top today on the show. We have Greg Franco of Man's Body. You might also know him from Rough Church, singer-songwriter who's based out of L.A. but has been traveling back and forth to Chicago and has spent some time in New Zealand. Kind of like when Dave Chappelle left the Chappelle show, um, they escaped the pressure, he went to Africa. Greg did that with New Zealand with the band The Clean. We get into that story later. Um, Man's Body is a super group of sorts. It's a combination of um, Rough Church members and Ashtray Boy. We're going to listen to a track off the new record. The new record is called A Set of Steak Knives. It's on all streaming platforms. Um, so we're going to listen to the track. This is 40 Ounce Kid off A Set of Steak Knives by Man's Body. Thank you. 
Ounce Kid, Man's Body. The record is a set of steak knives. Available now on all streaming platforms. Beautiful song. Super catchy. You guys should be leaving with that stuck in your head for the next day or two. Um, definitely check out the record. And check out the one that came before it. The song, Man's Body, is equally as catchy. It's a cool record, man. Cool stuff. They jump everywhere in different styles. And Greg was a super cool dude. Um, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with you guys. But before we do that, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests to share their insights with you. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Greg. Uh, what's So you guys are, you're, I mean, when I hit you up yesterday, or when, like, just connecting a little bit before this, like, it was yeah. the coolest response ever. It was like, we're in the studio now. <laughs> So, right, we're always cutting music. Um, we're uh, like a train. We just keep rolling on. This is for a probably a double album coming out next year. Where we've got thirteen songs in, and we've got another eight or nine that we're gonna get done this year. So we're just like a train. I mean, it's crazy how much stuff we do. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were just over at uh, Grandma's Warehouse out in Chatsworth, California the other day, and Jay flew in from Chicago, and so we were doing some of his songs, So, but we're just, we're constantly kind of adding on to stuff. Got it. So is it like, yeah. um, like, to kind of, like, the... the because to get to that point where you're going, you're bringing it to the studio, you, you've crafted it enough to bring it to the band, right? Yes. To hash out. And I imagine with a, because your group's split, because from what I understand, like, this is kind of like the collision of like, it's like a super group in a way. Um, it is. It is. So let's kind of like, let's kind of get into that story first. Um, sure. So what brought, when did you, when did you meet Jay and like, when when did like the, the writing, like the music click, like when we were like, like when just like kind of like, when did you know you can write with some, like that's a different level than just playing. Okay. Um, well, here's the thing. Jay and I met through another musician friend of mine named Mandy Crichton from the band called the world record. And he, those two guys had been in a band together a decade before um, called ashtray boy and uh, they had toured together and they had been good friends. I met Andy here in LA and he asked me to book that band at a restaurant that I was booking. So I had met Jay that night. And when I met Jay, he was playing drums in Ashtray Boy and he was talking about getting back into writing and getting back into playing guitar more. And I said to him, I go, look, I go, you know, because I just met him that night and I said, because uh, he was out of Chicago and I said, um, I'm, I want to go to Chicago and play some shows. Can you book them, play drums for the band Rough Church? Because I had this band called Rough Church and I still do have that going. But it was kind of like that was the the priority at that time. And I had a big 50th birthday and Jay's a luthier. So he built me a nice Telecaster Sick. guitar. Yes. Yeah, so we had like a big meeting of the minds and just that when we met each other, we realized that we were both in it for good. Like, you know, when you meet people and you go, they're not just a hobby. These guys, you know, this guy was like in the nineties playing in these bands, booking shows, 
he knew a lot of the same people. We had these mutual friends and it went beyond that. We had, uh, I guess he and I really were forged in the eighties. Like we were both in college or similar age. And so we had been in bands. I've been in bands since the early eighties and we both went and, you know, did that whole econo thing of like touring and staying at people's houses and pre-internet and we would make phone calls and, so we did, we'd book tours. And in other words, we both realized that we've been in the trenches on the indie rock or college rock or whatever they used to call it, or punk or post-punk. We had been in the trenches in different, um, just in different areas, but doing the same things. And we both compared a lot of notes. And then we decided, well, let's do this rough church thing. So he booked me at this place called Shuba's. And I brought the, the folks from LA out there did my 50th birthday thing. We did a day trotter session. This is September, 2015. My birthday's 9-11, September 11th. So we did that on that day. I got my new guitar. We went to New York and played a show. And then we sort of parted ways. You know, we just did like that weekend and that was 2015. And then we were just talking to each other on the internet and like, what are we going to do next? And my buddy, who's a producer, a guy, Manny Nieto, you could look him up, N-I-E-T-O. And he'd been working with Rough Church and stuff. And he said, well, why don't we do something different and book you and Jay, start a new project. And so we decided in, um, it was 2016, to go to Chicago again. And I flew out there and Jay and I started this new band called Man's Body. So what we did, we didn't know we were starting a band, but we booked uh, Electrical Audio, which is Steve Albini. You know Steve Albini yeah. from yeah, yeah. from Nirvana, from PJ Harvey and the Breeders and all this stuff. Right. So so we booked his studio. We didn't really use him. We used our buddy Manny, but Manny was um, a student of Steve Albini, so it was a similar energy, you know, that we wanted. And so Manny's actually done. If you look up Manny Nieto, he's he's been in Mix magazine. He's kind of a badass. So he's he was at the helm, Studio B at Electrical Audio. And then um, Jay brought this bass player. I mean, at the time, the guy plays guitar, too. And he became our guitar player, Marco Obaya. So he became in the man's body. But on that particular day, we didn't we just kind of met and decided to go for it. And we had some sketch ideas for songs. That turned out to be an EP, but we recorded it in one day, and it was called uh, Man's Body Found. And so once we decided that we were going to put that out, we figured we had a band. Hmm. So now I have two bands going, one in L.A., and I have the Man's Body Band now. And eventually Man's Body kind of morphed and took over the priority for me. And uh, Rough Church is still going. In fact, there's a Rough Church album coming out because um, we weren't able to get together during the pandemic as much as we like. So I kept going with other projects. And so there's another man's another Rough Church album coming out. And there's been a bunch of Rough Church stuff. You can yeah, find that on. You got a lot of records with Man's or sorry with a Rough Church. Yeah, there's yeah there was Rough Church and Rough Church has a has a weird thing where. I got hooked into this band from New Zealand and they were letting us tour with them. And we became a thing over there with the rough church, mm. but man's body hasn't been to New Zealand um, yet. But um, so anyway, we, we put out the EP 
And uh, we kind of went from there. We've, you know, we we would plan these little trips to New York and friends of ours would say, come play Philadelphia, Connecticut. And so man's body kept going. Jay would fly out to LA. We would write together online. You know, I have a, some of the rough church people actually working on man's body stuff here. Um, and then, and then Jay and Marco would add on things. So it's kind of like a collective, you know what I mean? In a yeah. way it became kind of blurred the two bands and, and we just kind of keep going that way. And sometimes, you know, like Dante is my right hand man here in LA in rough, in rough church. And he and I will write songs. Well, that sounds like a man's body type of song. It's not going to be a rough church thing. Cause rough church is more like LA. It's a little less post-punk and more of like, you know, there's some Americana in it and there's some R and B and, you know, we have Fredo Ortiz who plays with us. Who's a, currently in Los Lobos and he was in the Beastie Boys, Gogo Bardello. So right. we have these really, really cool LA cats that are working on both man's body and rough church shit. In fact, in rough church, I have more people writing like, you know, Caitlin will write a song and we'll do it. And, um, Fredo, but man's body is more like me and Jay. That's the mm -hmm. main writers in it. And the other people play more of a support role. So it's just weird how it happens. Very organic how it all happened. There was no planning at all. And then uh, eventually the man's body thing started taking off really well in Chicago. I kept flying out there. We did some touring. We did some, you know, we were really doing really good before the pandemic. We were, yeah. we were all over the place. We were, we haven't been to Cleveland yet. Yeah. Um, not yet, but we will. And in fact, that's coming. We're, we're looking at some places, but, um, so, um, you know, oddly enough, um, Caitlin Wolfberg, my violin player in Rough Church, who I met in 2011, long story, who plays in both bands and sings like you hear the girl singing. Right. Um, she is a Cleveland gal. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. So cool. look her up. She's yeah. born and raised in Cleveland. She moved out here like 2010. And she had lived in other places like North Carolina and San Francisco, but she, she's been out here ever since. And so she tr she travels out to Chicago with us and plays with us too. So we have like, it's weird. Both bands are going, but Man's Body is the main priority. Um, and we've had, uh, we put an album out called Put Your Family In It, <laughs> which is f pretty funny. Yeah. And we, we did that one in various studios, like in LA and Chicago. We, we recorded this place called King Size Sound Labs. Mike Hagler, he does like Wilco, Nico Case, all these big people. Yeah. And he's like our buddy. And Jay goes back to high school with this guy. So it's like, it's very cool. So um, we record there. We did that album. And then the the big one, the one that took us the longest, the one where we really felt like we were really hitting our stride is the latest one, a set of steak knives. And we finished that record and mastered it. And right like March 13th, 14th of 2020. Mm, right so we everything, played, yeah. Right. So we, we we mastered the record at Bernie Grumman in Hollywood, which was a great thing for the guys to come out and experience, like the guy who did Thriller and, you know, Fleetwood Mac albums and shit like that. I really wanted them to have that experience. Bernie's the, the best. I just thought this record needed the best mastering, you know. Yeah. And this is all like kind of out of the pocket. We're not 
you know, we're, we're, we're flying around, we're doing all this stuff. I'm spending my fucking inheritance on this music and we're not getting back like, you know, but we we're planning to get back eventually to get our money back on this thing, but we're having a blast. And, um, that was that we did a show at this place called gold diggers, which was fantastic, but the band's canceled on us because it was pandemic and all this stuff. So we did it anyway. We were the last possible show on that weekend when everything, remember everything yeah. shut down. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so we had our record done and then we just kind of went eh, and stopped. Right. You know, like everybody else had to kind of stop, but we kept writing and doing stuff and, and whatever, but we didn't, we weren't able to, to, to go and do the things we were planning. So now we've, we've put the record out in last year, like around July, kind of under the radar. And then now what we're doing is we're relaunching our vinyl, mm. um, which I think, you know, we, we enlisted uh, Howard, you know, Howard to help right. us do that. So um, we're putting our money where our mouth is. We think this record is our best record. And, and I think it is a solid, solid record that represents um, what we uh, ended up coming up with. It's a great uh, record. It is. It's a, there's thanks. a lot of really good songs on it. And like, it's interesting because, uh, uh, just the kind of, I don't, I listened to this record and the, and the first man's body, like it just kept looping the two uh, getting ready to chat yeah. with you. And it, it's interesting to see like in a weird way, like the, if we compare it to a body, there's all these different parts and different players doing yes. completely different, but specific roles. Um, yeah. I, it, it, the narrative of how you two work and like it, there's a mood to every song and and like I can tell they're written it, now it makes sense talking with you it's between two people but like yeah Caitlin uh, like will accent like the harmonies in it and gets like this really cool like just the the man's body theme right like yes that, that's such a cool song it's such a cool song and like it's a thought provoking one and it kind of makes this like where where's all this going to so, like, I guess my question with, with, with that statement is, like, that first record, it kind of sets up some things that seem to be touched upon in this next one. Like, there's the song about how you hold your knife in that first one. Yes. The, the, so, it was just... the set knives, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, was that kind of a, a thought? Like, or were those, were the songs for the, the newest record, uh, the one that's out now, um, set of steak knives, were those kind of written or being written during the recording of the first one? Ah, oh, man. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, it's blurry to me. Um, I do remember a lot of times Jay will have a riff, right? He'll have a little idea. And then uh, he'll just, you know, throw it at me. And and we, we're in the studio that day, so I'm writing lyrics like on the day. Mm. May, not, may or may not keep them. But uh, a lot of times it's just sort of feels right that song's about this, you know, and it just have to go with it. But a lot of times he's just, he's throwing stuff at me mm. and he's not really, well, that's not true. He's written plenty of songs where I just sing exactly what he wrote. Um, there are songs where he's completely written the song and he's even written the lyrics and the melodic structure. And I just have to be an actor at that point and just sing his lyrics, you know? Yeah. So there are times like that, but for the song, the way you hold your knife, 
Actually, you know what? To be honest with you, we were at a recording studio in Connecticut. We were on tour. We had a day off, and we we just heard about this studio out in the middle of nowhere in Haddam, Connecticut. So we were in that area, like New York, and it was fall. We're like, fuck it, let's book the studio. And I woke up that morning with that that riff, like, you know, da 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 you know, just there. Yeah. And so it was just like, okay. So the guys just got a hold of it. And I had a totally different lyric. The song was called Rat Race, and it was just not happening. And then, uh, and then for some reason, that first line just started, you know, you know, started hitting me, you know, yeah. about, you know, and it was a scenario. Like I imagined, um, I'm, I'm the protagonist, you know, I'm this guy in a restaurant and I see this beautiful woman and I just like her elegance. Right. And I just describing that, but I have no, um, I'm out of her league or, you know what I mean? Or I'm just not, I can tell this is just me, you know, observing this person. Um, but it just has a nice, you know, funny edge to it. Like, you know, you're stabbing my heart, right. You know, just like, I like the way you hold your knife. You're so beautiful. I'll never have you. So I'm just going to take the hit, you know, kind of thing. So that, that was the idea. And then it just, it just, um, seemed to work better than that other lyric that I had, I threw it away and whatever. So that, that became that song, but that was actually, um, interesting because we just happened to be able to be in the studio that day. I had a riff in my head. I was competitive because Jay already had a couple songs ready to go. Mm. Uh, Man's Body Theme was his song completely. Okay. I wrote the lyric though. Um, but we recorded that song and The Way You Hold Your, your Knife in the same day, I think, Sinkhole, um, that day. And so uh, we do this thing where we just, we kind of throw the dice and we kind of challenge ourselves to um make it or break it on that on a on a daily level you know we're kind of like we might be wasting our time or we might be hitting pay dirt we don't know right oh it's a so like is a lot of a lot of like the writing within the studio or like are you guys kind of prepping things like it sounds like now especially with like the distance like prepping things but during like a tour um, is there that kind of competitive, oh, he's got 30 minutes and I have to drive. He's writing something. I need the right, you know what I mean? Like the healthy oh, kind of competition. Totally. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's almost like, um, brotherly, you know, yeah. sib- it's like rivalry. sibling rivalry at times. <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, we get really jealous. I mean, we, if we love each other, but it's like, I'll be like, you know, some, somebody said the other day we were on a zoom call and then someone goes, you know, my favorite songs are, you know, um, um, Last Day on Earth and and uh, Blue Ruin and uh, uh, I left the set of my own TV show. And I went, shit, Jay, you got two out of three. You know, <laughs> so we, we do that all the time. We're like, you know, I'm like jealous. I'm like, I thought it would be my songs, you know, uh, 40 Ounce Kid. That one's totally mine. And But yeah, I mean, like 40 Ounce Kid is a good example of like kind of a rough church, you know, more of a rough church thing because that song came together completely without Jay. And all he did and Marco did was add on their parts. So me and Dante, my main writer over here is this guy, Dante, and we have a Pro Tools set up. And so we're able to go through I mean, like I said, some songs could be like, you know, we're just right then and there doing it and got to get it done. 
um, and other songs are, uh, you know, demoed out. Like there's 15 versions of, there's a slow, I mean, I could send you, you know, 15 versions of the song. I remember once I had like this, the first one is just a straight up acoustic, very melancholy version of it, very down tempo. And I played it for my mom and she goes, no, you gotta, you gotta bump that up. That's a, that can be very, very, very cool and very danceable. And all of a sudden, you know, then we started doing that and we brought Fredo in and it became kind of more of a, a swingier kind of pop, you know, whatever yeah. indie pop, indie pop song that it is. And you add the sub fatty on there, which is like this crazy Mo keyboard that just heavy bass. And then all of a sudden you've got Fredo in the studio doing these uh, Simmons drums parts that sound kind of 80s. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden it's like the cars or something. And it, and before it sounded like, um, you know, mopey indie, indie folk. So, you know, it just, it, it, it changed because it had to, um, because my mom said so, you know, that <laughs> kind of awesome. thing. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, um, every, every song has a different, you know, kind of crack of the egg, you know, every song is different. It's like the, that thing you did it. <laughs> um, What's that? Um, that thing you do. What's that, that movie with, um, Tom oh, Hanks? I never saw You've that. You've never seen, oh, it? yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, there's this part in it where there's this band that they're playing this ballot and he, it's it, it fits better as a pop tune, so that they hire a drummer. A new guy joins him for a day. He speeds it up on the gig, and they become an overnight thing. It's you wow. did that thing. You did it to Forty Ounce Kid. <laughs> Forty Ounce Kid, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's it's funny because there could be um you know who who knows in the future if this stuff goes well, um a completely separate record of you know demos because uh, I still think there's a really compelling uh mopey like i said melancholy version of that song because actually the story is really kind of touching and yeah and difficult in a lot of ways and i don't know if you saw the video but but that's exactly the way it kind of went down wow. you know that that there isn't any there isn't any um pretension on it it just it was i was waiting to for my buddy to come my trainer yeah because i go to this gym and I uh, was just sitting there waiting and this kid hits me up and, and tells me his story. And so then, you know, I was like, okay, at the end of that, you know, when he took off and I gave him some money or whatever, I just, you know, notated it in my head and went home and wrote the song in like five minutes. Yeah. You know, the basic song. Um, but the, the, uh, the story is exactly the way it happened and the video is exactly about that situation, you know. That's crazy. Oh so, wow. yeah. Um yeah, it's it's amazing just like the like weird little song seeds you like you walk past every day or interact with every day. And like it, it's it's weird when that that thing becomes an obvious song seed like oh that's that's a thing I can examine musically or or lyrically. It, it like and they're like these hidden gems, and never you never know what what's gonna shine that day, what's gonna make sense. Um, and I find it fascinating that you guys are constantly turning out in writing and, and in this creative like process. And like 
which which makes sense making music and being an artist and and being in that mindset but the whole writing process is a grind do you like do you find yourself yeah. like with a practice like a daily routine the check in with those like did i find any um song seed nuggets within or do is it just kind of like inspiration when there's time that's it that second one just when there's time inspiration okay. when there's time i mean i actually want to write a song about that and it would be called i have a half hour to write a song because <laughs> because the dogs has to be walked and the wife taken to work and the you know i don't I, luckily you know i don't i don't have i've worked my ass off to get to this point where right. i'm doing music full time and i have a full history i'm 56 years old so i have a full history between the ages of whatever we all do college into working life and i was at the universal pictures for years working 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 and not you know still playing in bands but but like wanting to do it full time right um and so i finally got my dream house and overlooked the city and i got my little studio and uh got the wife and no kids that i mean maybe that is a difference because a maker for me because uh i i you know your priorities you know so yeah if you have if you have and even then, you know, not with, without kids, you know, the, the dog, the cat, the vet, bills, right, the whatever, right. things that take over. Um, but I do insist on, you know, um, some space. Um, but, you know, if, if I didn't insist on it, I'm sure that my time would be just eaten all up. And, and it does happen where I can't always get around to it. But I try like hell every day to make it a priority. But I do have to take care of, you know, everybody does. Right. You know, you got to go to the grocery store. You got to take care of your bills or whatever. And then things come up, you know, family and mom and sick and whatever. And you're sick or whatever, like everybody else. So I don't take it for granted. And when I do have a moment, my wife works at night. Um, I do have some time at night a lot. I... um you know, and I also do a lot of writing um, professionally for magazines and stuff. When I write articles about PJ Harvey the other day and this oh, and yeah. that, and, and yeah, I do. I'll, I do a lot of writing lately. I've been conscripted on this stuff, and it doesn't pay a lot, but it's kind of rewarding because that's cool. Writing writing about other music is just as much a passion for me, and I'm sure you understand that. It just yeah. you know exposing all these great you know, but writing itself. Um, you know, I was a history major at UCLA and blah, blah, blah. I've always been a writer. I was a poet. I did stand up poetry when I was a kid. I writing is, a is you got to keep that pencil sharpened on the writing. So any chance I can write, even if it's not music or about music is my favorite thing. Then, then I'm always writing, you know, and I think that, that, uh, that really seeps in and, um, and I, and I'm very, very picky about, you know, what I, what I listen to and what I think is good. And that's usually from the people who also have a kind of a, you know, imagination, you know, like, uh, two questions on that. Like, so like recently, not recently, the last few years, I've been like obsessed with trying to like crack the writing code because musically that's where I kind of like understand and can write and can like like come up with stuff more and like and i i know how to enhance that skill in a way like oh 
if I learn that thing, I can hyperimpose. You know, yeah, I just the music end of writing makes a lot of sense for me. So I've been trying to understand the writing end of writing, and that led yeah. to like how you're saying, like writing for other things. Not I wouldn't get paid for, but like just learning the craft and reading and just kind of trying to decipher how this works and like really trying to come up with a routine just to like constantly be at the thing. Um, uh, not constantly, but uh, day uh, routinely be at the thing. Right. Um, but when it comes down to like, I want to pick a pick your mind. Like, would when it comes down to like someone saying something's good or like getting feedback or knowing if you did it or as, aside from the self being like, oh, I did that. That's cool. I love what I did here, and I'm all right, right. with that. Besides, like the kind of self acknowledgement, like with peers, like. What's kind of like a when you don't be lazy. That's yeah, all. Yeah. I mean, look, I think Jay Nimi, this is my partner for life. This is my first. I've been in so many bands and I don't think I found a real partner until this guy, um, to be honest, a peer like really top tier. And I think his writing inspires me. And uh, that's huge. Um, find somebody who you really respect their writing and see if they can give you some feedback because when it comes down to it, you need feedback from the right places. You know, it's nice. Like I said, mom said up the tempo, but she doesn't really know how to tell the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, he's, you know, he's, he's a genius. I mean, the guy, I, I always liked his music anyway. And, um, we got along right away and I kind of discovered his stuff going forward, but you know, like handler yeah. is a genius song. That's all him. That's all his lyric and last day on earth. Um, that's all him. You know, that song gives me chills. Um, I think that if you're partnered with somebody, it makes it easier and he gives me shit. He does not let me, he goes, you can do better you know, that's not right. That's not quite there yet. And, uh, you have to have a thick skin and you gotta be tough on yourself. You cannot just, you know, let it slide. Uh, it'll show in the end. It's like, it's like if, when you, you know, when you buy like the cheap thing and you think it can work for now, yeah, you really should (laughs) have spent more money. Right. No. And in the long run, you're going to, it'll last longer. Music has to last forever. Right. That's the weirdest thing. Once it's actually done, like that record, it's a piece of art now and it's forever. It'll last outlast you. And that's your legacy. So right. it's actually pretty fucking serious, you know, yeah. in a lot of ways. And and if you're gonna be easy on yourself, then you're not really doing the best work that you can do. I think that's well said. Um yeah. and like I I personally find like if a take is run past and I didn't do it 20 times and stress myself out about it, at least vocally, I don't know. Like, I'm like, ah, was that it? Are you sure that was it? Let me do it again just in case. (laughs) That can't be it. That couldn't have been one take. (laughs) To be honest with you, I've been through some real, I would call dentistry. Yeah. I mean, just really terrible pain to get vocals done. Um, Andrew Bush, you know, I've been with different producers and he's the toughest one. And, uh, you know, he runs that studio that we go to a lot and we were just at the other day. And, um, 
it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. this is work. Yeah. But here's the thing. It's forever. Right. Once you decide on that final vocal take, that's it. I mean, you can't redo it. Right. Right. You know, that's it. I mean, you, you listen to great records, you know, they nailed it, but you know that they didn't get it just on the first take and walk when had lunch that happens very rarely. And if it really does good, good for you, <laughs> but mostly it is not like that. It's hard work. And, uh, some days you don't get it and you have to come back. I know stories of Neil Young walking in, doing a take on a vocal and going, you know what, guys, I'll come back tomorrow. I'm not there. You know, I have to get my head straight. Um, once it's done though, you know it, you know, it's done. Right. Did, have have you ever done that? Have you ever gone in like, ah, oh, shit, I lost my voice. This ain't panning out. Or there's no way I, you, you get so caught up yeah. in that thing. Yeah. I've definitely oh, done yeah. it. <laughs> I've done it. Um, it's, it's par for the course. Um, we have this new song, you know, Jay's song called Willfully Wrong. And I wrote the lyrics and maybe six months ago, we spent hours, you know, and, you know, I think I had some knee pain or something at the time and I was just yeah. powering through and I did like 30 takes Fuck. and I kept listening to it. Yeah. Like, and I just hated it. I just like, there's nothing there. It's just not there. So this couple weeks ago, last week uh, when Jay was in town, um, I said, let me try that again. It was a lot less takes, but here's the thing. At that point it was internalized and it just right. came out better. Yeah, it's inter you know, yeah, it's interesting. Like vocally, you have to feel like you got like one. You're thinking pitch and you're feeling pitch, but you also got to feel rhythm and phrasing, and like and vocals are the most. I feel like like how you're saying your knee can be hurting or your back can be hurting. There can be so many other physical things that make that thing the hardest thing to record in a way. Um, it, it can just be your nemesis some some days, or yeah. it can be your best friend the next day. It, it's kind of like the weather. You never know, you know, and sometimes you beat the shit out of yourself and you're wasting your time. And sometimes you beat the shit out of yourself and it's the best thing you can do. Right. <laughs> but the vocal is the thing that is human. Uh, every other instrument people cannot relate to as much because they don't play the bass. They don't play the drums, but they do sing. Right. And even if you're not musical and you can't sing, you're going to try to sing. And if you love a song, you will sing it in the dark by yourself. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. vocal has to be nailed. We don't fuck around with vocals. We do not skimp on that shit. And I, the state of music today is kind of impenetrable for me because I think people are just lazy. I just, I hear auto tune and bullshit and, no soullessness and you know you know and that's why we're doing music still um at the advanced age that we are is because we're gonna hold the line on that shit because we love everything from the beatles to bob seger to whatever you know what i mean to indie rock to the pixies or whatever husker do we know that was real and that's the standard Right. And we know what the fucking standard is. You know what I mean? We don't fuck around. It's it's interesting, like, they kind of speak on, like, auto-tuned stuff. Like, it's interesting, like, when you hear it, like, I think a lot of people don't hear it 
but when you when you when when you get used to hearing what that is or working with some type of thing like that, it sticks out. And I agree. I've noticed it a lot more. Like uh, me, my, me and my bass player have been going between like a is that new Chili Peppers tune. Like, have you heard that yet? The black, uh, black summer. No. Okay. Okay. We were trying to figure out. Is it any good? Is it any good? I mean, I don't know. It's got John for shine. It, it's a rocking tune. There's like a yeah. there's like an interesting couple swells that make him sound like a like it makes it sound like he's doing um that like a like a, a weird accent and I'm like that sounds like auto tune he's like no I think he's doing that and like so it's just been a debate but it's interesting uh, like because I agree I like so much of a so like so much of music is expected to be this perfect thing which makes it inhuman just like how you, the, the the in the minor imperfections, right? You can nail a take and still not have like every pitch on board. That you that, yeah, that that's the human part, you know, and, and not the. So it, I agree. Like it is, it is kind of lazy in a way, and it's like, but it, it's everything is like perfected to be quantized and like auto tuned, which is you know they're great great devices if you're trying to do something with them in the. But I think there's definitely an overkill of certain things. The first Led Zeppelin album has no auto-tune on it. Definitely not. The first Black Sabbath album has no auto-tune on it. The Van Halen one has no auto-tune on it. I mean, you know, I could go down the line. Um, The albums that are brilliant, it's before that technology. And yeah, I mean, okay, a little bit of makeup on a record copying a take right i'm down i'm totally down i'm into that we comp takes i'm not going to tell you that any different you know we find the best shit and we comp it in there right but we're not auto-tuning that shit right we're not doing that because that takes away you know it oh yeah if you have an if you have an ear for the old shit the real shit, first Pretenders album, whatever you want, right? Stuff that I consider Godhead music. You know that shit. They was before that technology existed, and you had to be good, right? Those people had to go in there and slam. You know, yeah. And uh, and it's just a disrespectful thing for people to call themselves artists when they don't slam. I was it agree. It's inter- It's interesting because so much of that. When you listen to it and you try to perfect a melody line and you really are in your in that environment and you listen to it over and over again, and you, you, you it's interesting like just how loud that auto tune can be, you know, like um, I, like I I I because I, I, I think a lot of people don't don't hear it like I feel like it's very minute for unless you spent that time trying to nail a take on some uh, a take on something. You know, like, I'd, and part of it could be the tech, could be a lot of like how you listen. Certain frequencies may not stick out as much. Like when you listen to something on vinyl, certain frequencies do. And like, the, yeah. you know, there's a whole different feel to it, but it's also a whole different tech, a whole different system that's, it's a big waveform. It's a giant disc, which is the wave, you know, you can feel exactly. it, you can feel the bumps. But like, um, you, 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 the whole chain, the whole fucking, recording chain from from um basic tracks all the way to finished product and mastering has to be true 
the chain has to be truthful. Right. And uh, I, I don't understand some of the garbage that I hear people putting out there. I just, I'm an old guy, you know, but I know you know that Hendrix still rules. The door <laughs> right. still rules. I mean, you know that, you know, Boston's first album, which rules. Right. Fuck you. Yeah, no, that Boston. You know, <laughs> I don't even care if you like it. It doesn't even matter if you like it. You know that it rules. Was it? Um... The Beatles, you know, the yeah. Beatles. Yeah. Fucking Beatles. I mean, I get, so. there is the art to the studio in using that. But anyway, so yeah. when you started playing, like when music started to become your, your expression, like let's right. let's talk about blasphemous yellow. When did when oh did, my god? <laughs> when did the band like when did when uh, was it beyond just writing so, or was it just playing music and writing on your own? When did or when did you join with your brother? When did it become like a group unit and like a more than just at a self activity? When was it a, communal, a group activity? Yeah, a communal activity. When did it become a communal oh. endeavor for yourself? I'll go back to the idiots even before Ooh. Blasphemous Yellow, which no one knows about. <laughs> Until um, now. My, uh, yeah, right. My <laughs> buddy and I, in fact, there's an idiots cassette that my friend is wants to put out. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of hilarious. But, That's awesome. Um, but the way that was done was just a buddy of mine. We had just so much time on our hands. You remember, this is pre-internet. This is 1980. And all we did was listen to the radio. So we wanted to be the Cramps and the B-52s. That was our favorite two bands. Two great and bands. And so we, two great bands. But we didn't, we were just, you know, kids. And so our neighbors, you know, had a guitar and an amp. And he never used it. And we, and it was a Sears amplifier and a shitty Sears guitar. And my buddy couldn't play guitar, but we wanted to, play guitar and the guy let us borrow it we never gave it back his mom had to come over and <laughs> oh, snap. get it back from <laughs> us and she was pissed off you stole anyway we did we stole it but um so i had a, i had a cassette player and you know one of those old cassette players right right um this one did have like you could put a mic through it right it was like an old like a sony or whatever it was maybe it was cheaper a radio shack Anyway, I found out that the headphones could be a microphone. Did you know that? The headphones are actually a microphone too? Right, isn't it? It's just like reversed. Yeah, it's reversed. So, right. so I, I plugged in a, you know, it was two jacks so I could listen and I could also have a microphone. So that was a revelation. So I'm hearing something in my headphones, right? And I just brought out the pots and pans and I was the drummer, right? And we we're just hitting the floor. And this guy was playing this shitty amp. And we just wanted to be punk rock. We just, punk rock was the best thing ever because it just opened it up to everybody, right? I mean, punk rock was like, you know, three chords. So we did three chords and we screamed a lot and we call ourselves the idiots. The guitar got taken away from us and that was the end of the band. I mean, that was it. So we'd made one cassette and that was it. And we were both in the marching band and we were into Devo and whatever, all these bands. We just kept going along with being listeners and going to concerts and stuff. But my brother had gone to Spain and he studied um, in Spain and he had a guitar. And then we kind of restarted this band called Blast. We started this band called Blasphemous Yellow. It was like 1982, 81. And we were just in our bedroom, just fucking around the same way the idiots were doing it. Now he had a 
he had his own guitar and amplifier and I was just banging on pots and pans again and playing with, you know, electronics. And I started getting into recording and then we actually had a four track. And so then that was the, that project. And then, we, you know, we had some friends and they came over and one of them had a drum kit. The other guy, the, you know, we worked with them at the pizza place. And, and all of a sudden we had a bass player and we had a band and we were just oh, in yeah. the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. And we were just in the bedroom. We were just in, we were a bedroom band. And then uh, a friend of mine said, I got a gig for you guys. And um, so we had our first show and we played at some some Mexican restaurant with these crazy noise art bands who became famous later on. At the time, they were just like just people, you know, that were fucking around. But but we started playing and more and more shows and we were kind of like a violent femmes kind of thing. And I didn't play guitar at the time Mm. in that band. And we did that for a number of years and we kind of rose through the ranks and we played with fucking amazing. We opened up for like Tex and the Horseheads and we, uh, these bands, like we met yeah. Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction and he was huh. in this band called Psycom at the time. And yeah. we played this place called the Anti Club and it was our, that was our, our, where we were forged, you know, in fire and we were thrown to the wolves, you know, basically. We were kids from the suburbs and we were thrown into a downtown L.A. scary art scene um, with, you know, heroin addicts and bikers and shit. And and it was funny. It was like a movie. And like, you know, we were just like, OK, here we are. And they, they accepted us because we didn't know what we were doing and we made it up and we weren't trying to imitate anybody. We were trying to find something. And it made sense because even though it was fucked up, and it wasn't really a great band. It started to get better. And then the band finally broke up. My brother just flew the coop. But um, at that point, I had to like figure it out what I could do next. So I started playing guitar and I was 28 years old. And I then I was working a lot and I started, I said, you know what? I don't want to rely on people anymore. I want to write my own songs. And so I started a band called Ferdinand and that was my nineties band for like 10 years. And we kind of took off and that that's when we started playing with Beck and these big bands, the Possum Dixon, Negro problem. We were in the silver Lake scene and we did a lot of shows. We put out like two records um, and they didn't come out to like the early two thousands. So that, that band Ferdinand was, an, um, there's not a lot out there. There's uh, to listen to. Uh, there might be something on CD Baby. I think Laura, my bass player, um, put it out uh, on that. But um, we had a, we had at one point we had management and we had a whole thing going on, and I kind of backed out of the whole thing. I just didn't like the whole scene. It was a little bit too weird. Like and um, weird in the sense of like because it was kind of more. It wasn't DIY. It was it was kind of like the more like the kind of traditional like. There's a there's a manager guy, there's a PR guy, yeah. there's like okay. to be honest with you, that we came like a really weird. There was people banking on us, and there was things mm. they were asking us to do, and we were doing all these like big things, and we went to South by Southwest, and and it became like too much of a job for mm. me. Yeah, yeah, and it became like people were talking about money now and getting pissy with me about. Uh, positioning the, the band on certain bills and it just 
I don't know. I just, I, I kind of like felt it was too much too soon. You remember back then everybody wanted to sign bands. It was huge. I mean, every band we know was getting money and getting signed. And uh, it was that whole scene, right? It was started with the Seattle grunge scene. And then all these A&R people were signing um, young people with guitar. Yeah. It was just a thing. And uh, we were just another band, you know, that some, it was getting crazy. And, um, uh, you know, that song I left the set of my own TV show is kind of like a little bit like that. Like oh, okay. I just took, I, we were, we opened for this band in 2001 at the knitting factory in Hollywood. And I just loved them. I was like the best band ever. And they're from New Zealand. They're called the clean. They're very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so we opened for the clean and I became really good friends with those guys that night. I smoked them out. We we're drinking beer. I was like, that band is more what I want to do. Like that was more like I wanted to quit my own band at that point. Like mm. that wasn't feeling it anymore. Yeah. It felt, felt kind of plastic. And so, so i saw like an opportunity and I kind of went for it and I ended up going to New Zealand and making a solo album called South Paw West. It's called Greg Franco and Wandering Bear. And it was 2004. And um, so I ended up going to Dunedin, New Zealand and making a record with my heroes, The Clean. And I got signed to a label over there. And then uh, I came back home. I had some new friends that I just was fucking around with. Like we were just screwing around. And we all moved into a house together and it was called the Rough Church House. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the Rough Church House was... You know, we all lived together. Me and John and Jeff, my cousin was my cousin, and just felt homey again. Yeah. And I and I just kind of jettisoned all the other folks in the in, in the Ferdinand thing. I just sort of said, you know, I'll start over from scratch, and that just felt better for me. I got signed to that label in New Zealand, and I just started putting out Rough Church records, and then I brought John and Jeff over to New Zealand. We had a blast. We toured a lot. And then uh, eventually we made it over to to uh, Australia. I canned uh, Jeff and my buddies. I canned those guys because I wanted to get some better musicians. And uh, I just sort of wrote my own story. You know what I mean? And I yeah. got Fredo Ortiz, who was just out of the Beastie Boys. Right. And hey, I got Dante Go-Go. Pascuzo, Gogo Bordello. Right, right. And now he's in Los Lobos. And then because um, my buddy Manny said, get these guys. I was just having problems with my buddies. Like they weren't, to me, they weren't, they were not working hard enough. Uh, well, okay. And okay. Uh, yeah. So I just kind of switched them out. I got Dante, who was in Quetzal, and he had played for Poncho Sanchez. He's a jazz guy, but he plays rock too. All that bass shit you hear. Yeah. Uh, Handler, that's him on bass. Guitars, you name it, he plays it. And so I just kind of stepped it up and, and that's been my band. I got Caitlin, and then then I got eventually Jay and Marco with the man's body thing. And now I feel like I'm finally exactly where I needed I need to be. But I had no idea it was going to go like that. Right. You know, I I don't think that I just don't think that you uh, you need to really plan your career. I think it needs to be sort of becomes uh an adventure that you enjoy i agree you know yeah i think that's life i think that's the same thing as life 
and you just do things that make you feel in your gut like you're in the right place. Right. It's it's interesting. I've talked. I've done a few interviews. People have reached out, and I'm most times I'm always like, yeah, of course, let's do this. And one of them was a it was like a 17 year old uh, singer songwriter, uh, and she was like, she was projecting her career. And I was like, I, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and I'm, I'm not putting her down, like, cause I wish I had that motivation and 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 clarity of any type of thing when I was that age. Like, if I did that, man, maybe I, would, you know. But I, to kind of speak on your sentiment, like, I agree that so much of it, because if you plan on certain things, it becomes, it loses the the feel, the romanticism of being it, making connections with people who are gun-ho about making it work like when you just kind of give in to the person that's like okay we're your manager this and that and then there's like this pressure which isn't like for it's it's not pressure built on like solid ground in a way like when it's pressure that's built on like uh i put money into you don't screw this up like that's not <laughs> the same as like hey we've been in the van for like four years we finally got a good gig in chicago let's make this yeah. one not suck so hopefully we can keep getting good like there's a different type of acceptance of what pressure you're willing to like which feels right you know like uh so and like it kind of, it's interesting that you and jay seem to have like just kind of going through your narrative like have are, are based in that diy like the ground that like you can not that not control of it just knowing that it's like from this right spot, this pure intent of just kind of like making music and making that work out. And like, so that's awesome that it's finally panned out and got to the place where that's what you're doing. And the records that I've been going, cause I've been kind of skimming like the top of everything and trying to find the bottom, yeah. you know, but like, it seems like that's where it's at sonically. So it feels like, especially with man's body, this is a, like, it's a really cool project. And like it, I am so proud of this record. It is the it is the best record. Well, I mean, I have highlights, you know, that I love. I love this record that me and Jeff and John, the original Rough Church, you know, guys did right. called. Um, we had a record called The Wow Signal, and uh, I listened to that. I find it beautiful. I love that record. I I love the Rough Church album Queen Sacrifice. But all the memories associated with it are my memories that I forged. Yeah. And they're stuff that I I just enjoyed the process. And I think that if you enjoy the process, that's all that matters. Whether you get fame and wealth from it, you've already got it. You've already got the 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 uh, the wealth, but it's a different kind of wealth. It's a wealth of experience. It's a wealth of enjoyment. And that is the only payment you really need. Um, everything else is kind of bullshit. Um, everybody talks about wanting people to like them. I think you should start with liking yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, you know that like the great artists out there, the great singers, the great, you know, you could, you know, talk about anybody, the guy that just passed away from Screaming Trees. Yeah, he didn't give a fuck, dude. That guy, <laughs> he didn't give a shit about what people thought of him at all. He just made great art. Yeah, you know. It, so, and that's the thing when someone's doing it right, everyone's like, "Oh, they're so unique." There's, you know, and I, um, 
I don't know. I think that 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 acceptance of who you are and being fully immersed within that and and not to the egotistic level, but the like the kind of like a confident, conceited borderline, like where you're like confident in who you are and what you're doing and you're glad that it's from you and your unique perspective and the fact that you can share it in some type of medium is a beautiful thing. Like, but there, you know, there, there's that line of confident and like conceited, but, um, there's a lot of too much of that out yeah. there. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like in, so I, I agree with that. Like, cause that's, those are the guys that stick out or the original guys who can only be defined as themselves. And it's interesting that like a lot of times we try to hide between like one, I'll say like I do, if you're influenced by someone, I think it's like, and it really moves you. I feel like that's like, you should be proud to share that you like that in your way. That being the key thing, you know, not like trying to be like a, I forgot. I was just talking with someone about the sublime cover band that sold out like the the house of blues and like, they're really good. Like there's, but I, I, it just blew my mind. It was my bass player. And I, like, uh, we were talking to just like to do the cover band thing and like how, like one, you're doing music as a living and like, and I'm, I don't want to put this band under the, under the, because they did a great job and they're selling out the house of blues or whatever. It's just like, uh, it's interesting, like spot to be in. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like so much of like, do I, I guess it kind of sounds like the beginning of your journey to just doing music yourself. We you do so many gigs, right? That are like, as long as there's like a guitar nearby, I'll take the gig. You know, totally. And like, I have done every shitty gig. I have cried up there at times when it failed. I've failed so miserably, and I think that's exactly what you need to do. Yeah. I've had shows I still cringe when I think about them. Uh, we had a Ferdinand show early on. I remember I broke, used to do this stupid thing where I had all these tunings, you know, yeah. uh, and I'm also left-handed, so guitar. Mm. And so I'm tuning the guitar in all these different ways and too much time between songs. My poor girlfriend, wife now at the time, just wanting to cringe. And uh, nobody's there, and I broke strings, and sorry, guys, uh, <laughs> get halfway through another song and then quit this fucking after four songs and humiliated. But we played, we forged ahead. We said, well, there's another gig coming up. Let's fo- let's solve this, you know. And um, you know, we needed help. I mean, if there was, if there was somebody, a mentor or somebody at the time that could have given us some good advice but unfortunately a lot of bands are competitive yeah and so no, no one wants to help you which is funny but there were still some cool people that let us play and thought well these guys are unique and so we just have to solve your own problems but you absolutely must suck i i don't think it's needs to be so easy where you know i learned how to play guitar i play some covers when the band we're making money um, that's one way to do it. But for me, I always felt like, um, I had to find this, this voice, you know, I found at first thing I found was my writing voice. I was a poet and, um, that kind of thing. I found my heroes and, you know, poetry and spoken word stuff and punk rock and dead Kennedys and Charles Bukowski or whatever it was. 
And then eventually I had to like, my hero was actually my brother who quit playing guitar. And I imitated him because I thought, wow, you know, he's unique. And if I imitate anybody else, like, you know, um, it's not going to be close to my heart. So I started, you know, and his big influences were Hendrix and, uh, you know, Spanish flamenco guitar. And because right. he studied it in Spain. And then he also was a big fan of Jerry Garcia. So um, b- those things and punk rock and the, and U2 or whatever, early, early versions of U2 um, were my biggest influences as far as when I started playing guitar. But but I never, ever reached, you know, a a real, um, I'm a rhythm guitar player. I'm like, a, you know, I'm going to sing, I'm, I'm going to play guitar. And, but I'm, I'm not going to try to pretend that, that, uh, you know, I hire other people for that. Like, like Marco, he's that on for, for man's body. He's not in the band anymore, but, um, he, he's the lead guitar player on all those, you know, songs where we need a lead, but on the rough church records, I'm playing guitar, uh, but I'm not trying to set the world on fire. I've never, ever been that person to be the lead guitar guy. Although I think sometimes I would like to try that, but it wouldn't, it would be kind of, you know, my version of it, which would be like, not kind of a little bit of like a caveman version of guitar playing, not, not exactly Robert Fripp or, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or somebody that great or, you know, Hendrix or, you know, those kind of guys who were genius. Right. Well, you um, got miles behind the, behind the songwriting wheel and, you know, a lot of like guitar guys flip it like, uh, What's his name? Um, Robert Ford. Robin Ford. Like he's a guitar. Robin he's a shredder. Ford. Yeah, yeah. Shredder. He's a shredder. I just talked to him a couple weeks ago, and like, um, and you know, but then later his career was kind of like songwriting. So it, it's you know yeah. it's it's interesting. Like uh, it, it but becomes this whole new focus in a way. So like yeah. I, I feel like if you, the songwriting thing is such a vague interesting like space to be in and requires way more things to to go right that you don't need the shred of pentatonic scale to make a <laughs> that's like the you know that's like the the one spot of the song where that shines but <laughs> i challenge those i challenge those guys to be honest i tell them to do better i say listen to more people i say to those guys you're not you you have not heard all these guys that you need to hear. You have not heard Robert Quine. You need to go and listen to Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend album. You need to go and listen to uh, Scary Monsters, uh, David Bowie, where you hear Robert yeah. Fripp shred on those. And these guys are obtuse and they're weird and they're and they're not exactly playing in 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 the right time frames and stuff. And they're stretching time and they're doing weird shit and those guys are my favorite guys my favorite guys are the ones who are yeah doing something unexpected neil young right probably one of my favorite probably my favorite just the passion but he's not uh, he's not really technically that great right you know but he's a one string guy there's a lot of times where he's just like holding a note right you know and um so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not really the biggest fan of like, you know, Alan Holdsworth's or whatever. I mean, I get it. Um, I'm in awe of every guy like that. But um, for the type of music that I 
you know, really love. Um, there's not a lot of solos, to be honest. I mean, we we put them into our shit because it's fun. But um, for a lot of punk rock bands, that's not even a thing. Right. Like, uh, you know? when I'm thinking, I think, I think like Sinkhole, that's like a really abstract kind of solo. Like, that, that whole end part of the song is like sinking in. Like, um, <laughs> that, that's a, that was a fun one. That's a cool tune. Um, yeah. But hey, man, I, Greg, I really okay. appreciate, I really appreciate yep. your time here. Um, this has been a fun conversation, and I no really worries. dug uh, checking out the records. Um, that that there's sometimes when you just you see a portal, I call it a portal. Yeah. As we were opening for that band, I just knew that that was going to be. I'm going to hit up these people, and I'm, I'm going to stick my foot in the door, and not let them say no. And okay, you know, they're like, all right, you know. And I think that's when you know you have to kind of do that. Um, there's certain times where you know you, you just want to try this experience. The way it turned out was great. It could have been a disaster, but it turned out great. And eventually we worked our way into playing these festivals and doing things in, in Australia, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide. And, um, and I got that experience. And I can't wait to go back and do that with the man's body guys. So I think that's going to happen. So. It's, it's, that's a beautiful way to put it. Like, you never know, like, you know, you, you can sense like an opportunity kind of portal, but you never know where yeah. it's going to go. And like, that's a beautiful thing. Like, anyway, Greg, man, I yeah. really appreciate this. And like, uh, like I'm saying, wait, when you're rolling through Cleveland, drop me a line, you know, or okay, when you're trying no to worries. figure it out and, uh, I'm going to bug you about Chicago. <laughs> Absolutely. So. All right. Cool beans, my dude. Um, okay. I'll talk to you soon with this. And if you can text me your email. Um, I'll get you everything right soon. Now. Awesome. Should I be on the on the Facebook? Uh, do okay. it on the phone yeah. number. The phone because this on the is phone a, number. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Sweet. Perfect. All right. Awesome, man. Okay, brother. Thank okay, you. Thanks. Peace. Okay.